Good Tuesday morning, Four Oaks Church. It is August 29th. So glad that you have joined us for this round of our pastoral devotionals. We are making our way through Matthew's gospel. And this week, we're camping out in just a few short verses, Matthew 9, 14 through 17. Let me let me make one programming note just so you're aware as this uh, hurricane is barreling down towards us that and we'll be sending something out later today about this, but we're going to be, along with the rest of the Panhandle in Tallahassee and Leon County, we're going to be closing the church offices tomorrow and canceling all ministry um, activities. Lord willing, we'll be back up and running Thursday, but of course, a lot of that depends upon whether we have power, et cetera, et cetera. You know the drill here. So this means tomorrow morning, Wednesday, we will not have this pastoral devotional. But assuming we have power and lights and all that stuff, then then we'll be back up and running on Thursday. So just wanted to go ahead and tell you that. Now, let me read the passage, and let's pick back up where we left off yesterday. Verse 14, chapter 9. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn? As long as the bridegroom is with them, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Okay, so yesterday we began by starting on that outward edge of the passage, the circle, the outermost circle of interpretation, and we spent our time really listing out all of the questions or issues that we could foresee needing to explore in this passage in order to get at its central meaning. And as I said yesterday, there's some passages where the cookies are on the bottom shelf, there's other passages where God, through the help of the Holy Spirit, uh, wants us to dig and to mine for the gold that's in his word. And this is clearly one of those passages because there is a lot going on. And I encouraged you to, to follow up with several things on this passage in terms of utilizing your study Bible as you investigated a number of questions. And so what I want to do today is I want to drop down to that next circle and begin to kind of outline some of the contours of this passage um, and sort of address some of the immediate issues that we see and as we continue to drive towards sort of the central meaning of the text. So one of the things I asked you yesterday is to think about what is the connection with this passage from the one that went before it? Remember, this is Matthew's conversion story. Yes, uh, the passage before this. This is when he invites all of his tax collector friends, sinners, spiritual riffraff to his party. They're feasting and eating and drinking. And then seemingly, quote-unquote, out of nowhere, um, the disciples of John appear asking a question about fasting. And we, and we have to say, is there a connection between this passage and the one that went before it? And I think the answer, when you look closely, is yes, okay? So Jesus, in verse 13, says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And then verse 14, then the disciples of John came to him, 
it's seemingly through that conjunction there, Matthew is tying that scene of what just has happened to this scene. And we have to ask, what is it that would spark the Pharisees, or I'm sorry, in this case, the disciples of John to ask about fasting? Um, and I think it's, it's, once you think about it, it's pretty obvious. Um, they're asking about fasting because Jesus, his disciples, and these tax collectors and sinners are in there feasting, okay? And they're having a big party. They're eating and drinking and being merry. They're celebrating. Uh, they're having a feast as Matthew is sharing his conversion story, as these sinners and tax collectors are coming and, and, and sitting at the feet of, of Jesus. Now, one of the things that, that we need to be aware of, and this is important where context really kicks in, the reason this would have sparked a question about fasting, because can't we say the Pharisees, did the Pharisees not ever eat big dinners and feasts? Of course they did, right? We have examples of that in the Gospels. Well, there was a rabbinical tradition um, which laid out for the scribes and Pharisees that they would fast twice a week. They would fast two days a week. And we don't know this for sure, but it seems that this particular feast fell on one of these fast days. And uh, a day that wouldn't be normally set aside to, to, to fast, to pray, to seek the Lord, um, Jesus and his disciples are instead feasting. They're doing the opposite of fasting. And that seems to be what has sparked the question. Now, when you look at this passage and compare it to um, Mark and Luke's account, what we find out is that it is not merely the disciples of John who come and ask Jesus about this, um, but it's also the Pharisees. In fact, the, the, the disciples of John allude to this in verse 14. Why do we and the Pharisees fast? Now, we have to ask, what, what in the world are John's disciples doing in league with the Pharisees? Well, because didn't, didn't John the Baptist like call them root of vipers and all this sort of stuff? True, but remember at this time, John the Baptist is in prison. And for his disciples, um, as they looked to find the clearest, truest expression of what they thought was biblical faithfulness, um, the Pharisees, of course, were the natural camp that they would land in. Um, this, this tells us that John's disciples still didn't really know what to do with, with Jesus. And so they have this legitimate question. Um, we're, we fast twice a week. Why do, um, why, do your, why do your disciples not fast as the law prescribes? Now, one thing that's, that's also important to note in terms of context and scope here is that when you look at the Old Testament, in actuality, there's only one occasion where the people of God are commanded to fast, okay? And that is on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. That's the day the, the priest, the high priest, comes into the Holy of Holies. He offers sacrifice for the sins for himself and for the people. It's the one, it's the one day of the year that, that he, in, in a sense, sees God face to face. And that is a day where the people are to set aside um, time that day to fast from their meals to seek the Lord, to humble themselves, to come before him 
with a contrite heart to be confessing their sins, to be offering their sacrifices. So that's the only time that God's people are commanded to fast. Now, there are many other examples, of course, in the Old Testament where God's people do fast. Okay, They, they take it upon themselves on that particular occasion um, to fast. So, for, for example, we, we think about uh, Daniel before the people of God. And they are humbly coming before God, confessing their sins, um, acknowledging before God that, that their sin is what has gotten them uh, carted off to exile in Babylon. And it is in that time that the people practice a corporate fast. The prophets, their leaders, Daniel in this case, is calling them to um, a season, a time of fasting to seek the Lord. And when you look at other instances of fasting in the Old Testament, they're most often associated with times of mourning, um, times of sadness, times of brokenness, times of confessing sin. They are opportunities for God's people to come before him and their leaders and one another and to seek God and to seek him in faith and repentance, okay? And so that's kind of the, the backdrop, okay? So let me, let me, I'm sorry, let me add one more thing. This idea of fasting twice a week did not arise. It's never commanded in the Old Testament. It always, um, that arose out of rabbinic tradition. And so because the Pharisees wanted to be faithful in their spiritual disciplines, what started out as a good thing, we want to take a couple of days off to fast each week to seek the Lord as the religious leaders of Israel, that's what they would do. Well, well over time, of course, this became an enshrined tradition that was sort of sacrosanct. In other words, it was, it was one thing to say, by our own volition, free choice, we want to fast and set aside times. It's another thing to say, this is what all faithful Jews must do. Okay, this is this is this is what must this is what must happen. And remember, we know from the Gospels that the Pharisees made a big deal about this. Uh, remember the Pharisee in the temple when he's he's the 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 publican, the tax collector, is confessing his sin and is saying he, how unrighteous he is. And what does the Pharisee say? He says, well, look at me, God. I, I'm thankful I'm not like him. I fast, what, twice a week, okay? And um, when they fasted, they made a big show of it. Uh, they, they, they tore their clothes, sackcloth and ashes, uh, ashes, gloomy faces, and all of it was not God-directed. It was directed um, towards seeking attention for themselves. This is why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells them, when you fast, don't do it in order to practice your righteous acts before men. What does he say? I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full, an earthly reward, human acknowledgement. But that's not why we fast. We fast, Jesus is saying, because we are coming to God, seeking him. Now, what does that mean for us today? Or let me let's make it let's make it let's bring it right back to the text. What 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 did this mean for Jesus's disciples in the early church in this context? Okay, 
Now, this is what we're going to spend our devotional time Thursday and Friday, Lord willing, looking at in more detail. Well, let me just make a couple of comments that can help us to think about this. So Jesus says, can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Well, it's obvious here that the bridegroom is Jesus, okay? Because now in the Old Testament, the bridegroom is always God, right? The, 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 the groom. And Israel is the bride. And there's all sorts of marital uh, metaphors in the Old Testament that describe this relationship, that, that Israel is the, is the bride betrothed to her beloved, her beloved being God. God is a jealous God, jealous for the affections of his people. And any time Israel went astray, um, it was always put in terms of sexual immorality, how um, the, how Israel had been unfaithful, how they had not um, pursued their covenant bond with their husband. They had committed uh, spiritual adultery. And, and so um, whenever there was a time of fast in the Old Testament, what was happening is that they were crying, calling out to God to be restored in their groom and bride relationship, in their covenant relationship. Well, Jesus says, great, but now the bridegroom is here. And the bridegroom, as we will see, and as we continue to see in this gospel, is Jesus. And because you have Jesus, there's no reason to fast. Or there's no reason to fast in the same way. And so he does seem to insinuate that when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast, okay? And when we think about that idea, what it is going to tell us, I think, as we continue to dig into this passage, is that it's not that fasting is absolved for, for Christians since Christ has come, okay? What Jesus seems to be saying is that fasting now takes a different form. It takes a different shape. It takes a different purpose because... Israel was yearning for its bridegroom, but now the bridegroom through Jesus is here. And this is going to change the way we do everything. And hence, these different analogies about the new wine and the wineskins and the unshrunk cloth on the old garment. These are all ways of describing a new reality that's coming because of Jesus that's going to transform everything, including fasting. And so what we're gonna dig into next time is, is hone in on this idea of how does Jesus change fasting? What does that mean for us as New Testament believers? And then expand that scope out on Friday. How does Jesus change the way we look at everything? Um, not just fasting, but everything and transform um, our view of reality and the world. Okay, there we go. We're, di we're going deep. This is a, 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 a good passage. There's a lot to mine out here, so stay with us. Again, won't be here tomorrow, um, but Lord willing, we'll be back on Thursday. Let me pray. Lord, we are thankful that you, Lord Jesus, as the bridegroom, have laid your life down for us, and that despite our covenant unfaithfulness, you've been faithful to us. And so, Lord, we do now long for your presence. We long for you to return, but we long in hope. We long in peace. We long in expectation. 
And so, Father, give us uh, a continued hunger to know what it means to seek you in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. See you on Thursday.